Yeah, what you saw on the screen behind you was uh, the, really the beginning story in the middle section of Moses' life. As we enter into the joy story today, we're going to realize that Moses got to experience some pretty incredible things. I mean, he literally changed Western civilization. American laws based on Roman and Greek law, which traces back to Mosaic law. More than that, he was able to be famous for the, you know, the Red Sea crossing, the conquering and, and leading people into liberation out of slavery. More than that, he is known for the Ten Commandments. He's known for setting up the tabernacle. Yet he almost missed out on all of this. Almost missed out on all of it. Because at 80, he went into retirement. And at 80 is when God asked him to step into the story. So let's step into the story with me. As we go into the story, I want you to look at the face of Moses. Despite what the actor looks like, he's actually 80 years old at the point in our story. He grew up in Egypt. And part of growing up in Egypt is that he was trained in some of the most elite, some of the most uh, high-end education in the world at that time. So as he was educated, up until the time he was 40... He had access to the best education, influence, and yet he was also Jewish. His parents had rescued him from being slaughtered by the Pharaoh by putting him in a basket. He is found by the Pharaoh's daughter, and he's now grown up in the Egyptian court. He's been taught leadership. He has education. And yet at 40 years old, he notices and he sees his fellow countrymen being abused as slaves. And he can't take it anymore. So what he does, he steps in. He steps in. He kills one of the Egyptians that's beating the... uh, his family members, or his, his, at least his countrymen. And immediately two things happen. One, the people don't uh, come around him. They don't say, well, thanks, Moses, lead us in a revolt. They say, what did you do? You're going to kill me too? You're not a leader. And they reject him as leader. I mean, the people he's supposed to liberate reject him. More than that, now he's a hunted man. He's hunted by the Egyptians. And he decides to run off. In the face of rejection, in the face of the unknown, in the face of fear, both from his people and the Egyptian people, he runs off to the backside of the desert. And there he marries into a very wealthy family, Jethro and Zipporah. He has a very successful business for the next 40 years, from age 40 to 80. It's during this time he's making a lot of money. He's got a lot of influence. He's got a huge company, so to speak, as a shepherd. He's got a huge amount of employees. Things are doing really well. He remembers he had a dream. He remembers he had a destiny to lead people out of Egypt. That is long gone. That is long way away. In fact, now Egypt represents a place of fear, a place of rejection, a place of difficulty that he never wants to go back to. I was reading a research study a few years ago that talks about if we don't dig in the dirt, as Peter Gabriel says, and look at the the things in our past, the fear, the rejection, and the unknown that holds us back, that can be traced back to our past, there's going to be symptoms that come out of our life. The symptoms that we see in Moses' life are the same symptoms I see in my life. Here's a list from that study. When we don't deal with rejection or hurt in our lives, number one, we're easily hurt. Because we are hurt in the past, we're overly sensitized to be hurt now. It's like that old song, you know, Charlie Brown. Why is everybody always picking on me? If you don't deal with your hurt, you'll be overly sensitive to being easily hurt in the future. Number two, if you don't deal and dig in the dirt as to what it is that's caused you to be so fearful of the unknown, you're going to fear a failure. I had two accidents last year. Uh, One, I had a motorcycle accident. And the second thing I had was a um, snowboarding accident. Years ago, I used to be a trick skier and a wakeboarder. 
And I had one of those turns, I went to do the turn, and my blade got caught in the water and just body slammed me down. For last year it was snowboarding and just, I'm still going through physical therapy now on it. And I'm amazed that when I'm on a motorcycle now, when I'm on my wakeboard now, I cannot spin and turn the way I used to because in my brain is the muscle memory of how painful that was. And something in my brain tells me, don't do that again. But many of us, that's what's happened to us relationally. We don't want to try entering back into a marriage after one fails. We don't want to try a business upstart again because one didn't go well. That fear of failure is holding us back. Third, we become very suspicious of others. Because someone betrayed us, someone hurt us, and now it's hard to be in relationships because we've got so much suspicion. We become withdrawn. We pull back from other people. We don't have the kind of friendships we once had because somebody turned their back on us. The need for self-verification. Because we've got this rejection and fear under the surface, we've got to validate ourselves. Well, I see this in me. It's just so weird. Uh, my last church experience was very, very painful. I'll talk about it in a minute. And I find myself when folks say, now, what do you do for a living? I don't just say, hey, I'm a pastor at a church. I find myself sort of spreading my resume around, you know. Let me tell you about the church. Let me tell you how the church is growing. Let me tell you about the book I wrote. And I, and I, and I said, why am I doing this? Why am I handing a resume verbally to somebody who just said, what do you do for a living? And it's this. It's that need for self-verification. I had a friend of mine that told me a story recently. He was talking to a pilot. And the pilot said, do you know how you find a pilot when you go to a dinner party? My friend said, no, how? He goes, don't worry, they'll find you. He says, they'll eventually bring up the fact that they're a pilot, and they'll eventually bring up the fact that they have a plane. I went, oh, man, isn't that so true of all of us? And lastly, if you don't deal with rejection in your own life, fear of the unknown, like Moses, you're going to have a very hard time trusting God. So that's where we've entered the story. Now we're going to turn the page. And as we turn the page in the book, what we're going to discover about Moses is this. God is going to appear to him at 80 years old and say to him, I want you to face your fear. I want you to face the unknown. I want you to come against the very thing that scares you the most. And I want you to deal with this reality, that rejection has caused you to question. Rejection has caused you to question me, question relationships, question who you can trust. It it has made you question your confidence, whether or not you can go back. So Moses, living in luxury, in retirement at 80, is sitting in his tent, and that's when we enter the story and it comes to life right here. Let's watch. So God appears to him at 80 and is going to ask him to do the very thing he hates the most. To go back to the place that represents the most rejection, the most fear, and the most unknown he's ever had before. And his rejection is going to cause him to question three things. We're going to look at those three things together and look at the lessons it may have for us. The first thing we see in the book is that he questions his identity. And that's what rejection can do. It can really challenge your identity, who you are. Here's what it says in chapter 3. Verse 11, and Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Well, in one sense, as objective readers, we go, you're perfect. You know the wilderness because you're a, you're a sheep herder. You know the whole area that people are going to be going through. And you've been trained in the Egyptian guard. You still have access. You know how it works. You know how to get access to the right people at the right time. You're perfect, right? But the rejection 
of the past. The fear of the unknown, the fear of going back to the place that he has wanted, the place that people turned him down, it's got him to question his very identity. Who am I? I can't do it. Find somebody else. There's got to be somebody who could do it better, somebody who could you know, do it better than, than I could. you got the wrong guy for the job. You know, especially for guys, I know we find our identity in our work. And there's one thing that gets us to question our identity is when work isn't going well. For some of us, it's, it's losing a job. For some, it's moving into retirement. Retirement can be a chance of, well, who am I now? My identity was, was really set in, I'm the guy who is the CEO. I'm the guy who's the president. I talked to a friend a few years ago. He has a second home on the West Coast. And I said, what's it like living in the neighborhood? He goes, well, you know, we got some crabby neighbors. I said, why do you have crabby neighbors? This is like the most beautiful place in the whole world. He said, well, many of them are retired CEOs and they're used to people sort of listening to them and, and giving orders and people respecting them. And now they're retired. Nobody listens to them. And, and, and their wife certainly doesn't listen to them. So now, now they really don't feel like they have any authority. And so all they have to do is like call up the covenant people and say somebody didn't mow their lawn quite right. And so it's like the only authority they have is to sort of be this annoying neighbor. Their whole identity has been turned upside down. Maybe it's midlife. Maybe it's retirement. I had a buddy who went in retirement. He's like, oh, his whole life he just pinched pennies to save for retirement. Now he's in retirement. And after about two months, he's like got all his fishing in. And now he's got, you know, 20 more years of what am I going to do? For Moses is in retirement. And he has got his whole identity is being questioned at 80 still because he's never dealt with the rejection and the fear from the past that's going on here. So what God is going to do is God is going to answer this question of his identity by giving him a promise. Like, let's turn the page and look at what that promise is. So he's going to answer him with a promise. And the promise is not, I guarantee it's going to work. The promise is not, let me tell you uh, that the Pharaoh's dead, though he is. Uh, there's a new one in place. God doesn't give him any hints about the circumstances. He just says, here's what you can know when you question your identity. I will be with you. I will be with you. You are not alone. You can be confident, you can be courageous, you can face whatever the fear is, you can face whatever difficulties come, because I will be with you. That's all you got? Yes. The God who made the heavens will be with you in the midst of this. That's my promise to you. So he continues. And with that promise... He comes back with a new excuse, a new question. Again, the rejection is so deep, the fear is so deep of going back to Egypt that he sort of fires back another question. This time he's not questioning his identity, he's questioning something else. What's he questioning? He's questioning his confidence. Let's turn the page. And here it says in the next part of the verse, When Moses said to God, When I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Again, this is a leader's leader. This is a guy who, who interacts with people and tells them what to do and how to manage his whole life. But for the first time in his life, he's like, I don't know what I'd say. In that situation, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know what I'd say to those folks. I don't know if they believe me. Who's going to believe that God appeared to me in a bush? I mean, they're going to wonder, you know, what I was smoking. I mean, who knows what they're going to wonder. But they're not going to say, oh, God appeared to you in a bush. His confidence is shot. And this is what happens with fear and rejection from the past. I mean, you can be a typically very confident person, and all of a sudden, you can, again, lose a deal, lose a job, and your confidence can turn upside down. And that's what's going on here with, uh, with Moses. He's beginning to question his confidence. 
What shall I say to them? Remember my last job. I'm typically a pretty confident guy. And uh, boy, the last uh, job I was at 10 years ago, every tool I had used in my previous business experience or job experience didn't work. Tools that had worked before didn't work here. And all of a sudden, my confidence in my ability to do my job began to dwindle. Therefore, my boss's confidence in me being able to do my job dwindled, which then made me dwindle even more. And I got caught in this just downward spiral. My wife would say after those two years in that, uh, that church that I had just been crushed. My confidence was just destroyed, very out of character for me. But the rejection, the lack of confidence, the fear, the unknown, it was just wearing on me, just like it's been wearing on Moses in the midst of this. What am I going to say that I think God's appeared to me, that I think God is real? I was reading an article in Christianity Today. Told the story of a Fox News consultant, Kristen Powers. She grew up in Alaska. Her dad was a, a man of faith. He was an archaeologist. But in her 20s, though she had a lot of questions and sort of bounced back and forth between faith and agnosticism, one day her dad shared with her that he had a lot of questions and doubts about his faith. And it really rocked her world. To the point at which most of her 20s she spent, she would say, bouncing between atheism and agnosticism. She had a very successful career. She worked in the Clinton administration from 92 to 98. She said, I was surrounded by intellectuals who, if they had any faith in God, never talked about it. But unlike the Christians who said, boy, life without God must be so miserable, that wasn't the case at all. Sure, my life was secular, but it was pretty wonderful. It was filled with opportunities, good conversation, and privilege. I didn't miss God at all. In fact, the only exposure I had to Christians was when I did a news story about them and found out who's the newest person they hated. What's the newest hate speech coming out from those religious people? I didn't miss it. In fact, I sort of detested those kind of people. And then I went on a blind date, she says. Somebody set me up with someone and said, do you have any qualifications for people you want to date? She said, yes, they can't be religious. I don't want to go out with any of those kind. She starts dating this guy. And after a few dates, she really likes him, respects him. He's very smart, very funny. They're really clicking. And he asked the question, do you believe, are you a follower of Jesus? No, I am not a follower of Jesus. Do you think you want to be one? No, I definitely do not want to be one. To which he said, well, could you at least keep an open mind about it? Well, she said as a journalist, as a a liberal, she sort of prided herself on being open-minded. So he really had used the right phrase. So she said, I guess. So they were in New York at the time. They went to a, a church, uh, Tim Keller's church up at Redeemer Presbyterian. She said they did some praise music with a band, and it was just horrible. And she thought to herself, I mean, the quality was good. But it was just like, this is what I thought it would be like. It's terrible. Then the, the speaker got up, and he began to talk in a very winsome, intellectual way, very educational way, about the problems with the worldview of atheism and, and agnosticism and the intellectual problems with that, weaving history and art and theology and philosophy together, and why the message of of Christianity has changed the world, was positive, and he always ended the message talking about Jesus. She said, it really bothered me. He had this perfectly good lecture and ruined it with a Jesus talk. She said, after three months, though, she began to be drawn. And then she began to worry. The same thing that Moses worried about. What am I going to tell my friends if they find out I'm going to church? What if I find out? What if it turns out to be true and I become one of these God followers? Everybody, she, she told her parents, and her parents were worried that if she became a Christian, her Christians might turn into a Republican, which would be even worse. 
the ramifications. But she kept pursuing. Her boyfriend said that, well, let's pray that God will reveal himself to you. She says in 2006, she was in Taiwan, I believe, and she had this dream. And she, after six months of studying the Bible, a dream that God appeared to her and just said, here I am. Almost the exact same words. And he says, what's your name? God will say, I am who I am. She said she woke up terrified. This was a very unwelcome vision in her life. It felt like an invasion. I felt like I was going crazy. I had a friendship with the New York bestselling author, Eric Metaxas. I asked him what I should do about this. He said, you need to get into a Bible study. I said, you don't get into Bible study. Only weirdos and zealots go to Bible studies. But I went to my first Bible study. And after studying the Bible and this journey I'd been on, I walked out of that Manhattan apartment and I thought to myself, it's true. It's absolutely true. And I was filled with incredible joy. She said, if you had told me seven years ago I'd be writing an article in Christianity Today, I would tell you, you are crazy. She was having the same encounter with God as a skeptic that Moses was having. And she was wondering, what will people say to me? And yet God answers the confidence problem with a plan. And here's the plan. He lays it out here in these verses. He says in verse 12, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. You see, for 400 years they've been in Egypt. They thought to themselves, God doesn't see what I'm going through. God doesn't get involved anymore. God can't rescue us. And God says, first tell the people, I have seen what's happening. I have seen their affliction. Two, I want you to open them up to possibilities. Tell them, I'm not just going to make slavery a little less difficult. I'm going to rescue you from slavery. 400 years. They couldn't imagine being out of slavery. But he says, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Mosquito Bites and the Jesuits and the Hizzites and the Medjubites to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will heed your voice. They will listen to you. Because he's got a confidence problem. They won't listen. They didn't listen last time. They will listen. They'll heed your voice. You and the elders of Israel, the king of Egypt, and you shall say to them, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us now. Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord. And, more than that, I'm going to stretch out my hand against the king of Egypt. And you'd think he'd say, and it's all going to go well. But he says, no, no, it's going to be difficult. I've got some responsibilities. You need to go talk to them. You need to go do this. You've got some responsibilities to be part of this journey. And then it's going to be really hard. What? I don't want to go there because it's hard. Here's the good news. You're going to talk to the Pharaoh. First thing he's going to do, he's going to reject you. You're going to say, let my people go. And he's going to say, no. And you're going to say it again. He's going to say, no. And then you're going to do it again. No, 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 no. This is why I don't want to go back. I didn't like being rejected before. Why would I go back to a place and get rejected again? And God says, I'm going to make you so fearless that I'm going to inoculate you against rejection. Rejection and fear has controlled you your whole life. And I'm going to inoculate you from it. You're going to be bold because I am with you. And we're going to work through this fear together. And more than that, I'm going to incorporate a God factor. What's a God factor? Something you couldn't have imagined that's going to happen. When you lead the people out and you will lead them out, The fellow Egyptians are going to be so impacted by what I'm going to do that they are going to bless you as you go and give you wealth and give you supplies and you're going to leave fully loaded. You'd say, well, that's impossible. But that's exactly what history records happened. God met him with a plan to deal with his confidence issues. 
but it required him to step out. I remember the, in my last job when I came to the point I knew I needed to leave. I didn't want to leave. I had a house. I'd only been in a year and a half. I'm going to lose the money on that. I would further bought a rental house because I wanted to use it for my daughter's college education. So I owned two homes in a town that nothing was moving in real estate. I didn't want to uproot my family. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to expand. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to lose the security of a job. But God was telling me, I've got plans for you. And that is where I ran into Horizon Community Church 10 years ago. And I wondered to myself what I would have missed out on, like Moses will miss out on, if I had not worked through my fear and been willing to step into the unknown. See, rejection causes us to question. We question our identity. We question our confidence. But there's a third area he mentions here. Let's turn the page. Let's look at the next area of, of questioning, which is his credibility. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe what I'm saying? Well, here's how he says it. Moses answered and said in chapter 4, Suppose they do not believe me and listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord hasn't appeared to you. That's not true. That God doesn't exist. The Bible's not true. Come on, that's nonsense. This is exactly the fear that many of us have about getting serious about God or the Bible or Jesus. What if somebody finds out about it? I mean, it's okay. I want my kids to be good kids, but not Jesus kids. I mean, it's okay to be good and moral, but a regular churchgoer? I mean, I'm going Christmas and Easter. Come on, Chad. Here I am. I showed up here one extra time. This is it. This is, a, this is the cream of the crop right here. Dude, I don't get too serious. What will people say about me? I'm going to lose my credibility. I'm going to lose my edge. If I become a follower of Christ, does that mean I become meek? I become a doormat and just let people stomp on me all the time? I sort of have my spine surgically removed? Does that mean I have a lobotomy and I have to start believing things in the Bible that are true that I, that I know intellectually aren't? Does that mean I'm going to lose my competitive edge in business because I can't negotiate the way I used to? All of these fears that are in Moses are in you and I. It's the fear that if we trust God, he'll make our life miserable. What are they going to say? It's not going to work. Suppose they say that it's not going to work out. What would I do? How will he answer that? Well, God said, what, uh, what do you got in your hand? Because I want to use what's in your hand. He's like, well, um, I got a staff. This staff represented his new career. You know, his, the last 40 years he's been a shepherd. He's got this staff. What are you going to do with that? And God said, well, let's talk about your staff because I'm going to answer your, your credibility problem. I'm going to answer your, your credibility problem with power. Let's turn the page. As he answers it, he says, here's what I want you to do. What's in your hand? He says, a rod. He says, all right, cast it to the ground. And he cast it to the ground, it became a serpent. And he said, all right, I want you to pick it up by the tail. What? Now, many of you just got nervous. He went, I knew it. If I hung around horizon long enough, the snake handling would begin, and this is it. <laughs> This is where they get that kind of thing. I've heard about this. I'm just wondering when they're going to open up. And, and, and some of us are crazy churches that have sort of pass a snake around, and if you really have faith, you won't get bit. <laughs> no, that's called lunacy. All right, That's not faith. <laughs> but there is some application here. But let me tell you what the application is for them that does apply now. By throwing his staff down, that represented the thing he had been hiding out on. His occupation had kept him from his destiny. It was the representation of his, his security. It was the representation of his new career. He said, are you willing to lay down your security in order to pursue the unknown? And then he said, you've got a fear problem, don't you, Moses? You've been controlled by fear most of your life. We're going to start now dealing with your fear. Pick up the snake. 
I want you to trust me now. We're going to have small, and you know, you know how you deal with fear? You don't have less fear, you have more of it. You learn how to be brave with an inoculation of fear. And you take a little dose of it and you go, well, that didn't hurt. And with little doses, you feel the fear and you do it anyway. That's bravery. You feel the fear and you do it anyway. So he says, we're going to inoculate you with fear. It starts now. Reach down, he grabs it, turns back into a staff. Now, you're saying, Chad, seriously, this is why the Bible can't be true. It's a fairy tale. He just told me about a staff that turned into a snake and back again. Well, again, let's be intellectually honest for a second. Every philosophy and religion defines God as someone who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. That's sort of the universal definition of God. If God is all-powerful, if that's, you know, we, our hypothesis is that God would be all-powerful. If this is a historic document, and if an all-powerful God appeared to him, shouldn't an all-powerful God be able to do all-powerful things? Wouldn't it be a bigger problem if you said, this is a joy story about an all-powerful God, and as you read it, nothing ever happened? Wouldn't that be a problem intellectually? Isn't it actually reasonable that if it's true, and you may not believe it's true, but if it's true, if the all-powerful God did appear to him, of course he should do all-powerful things. That's what an all-powerful being does. But he says, the power I'm going to give you is that you're going to take that staff, which represents your old career. And by, by throwing it down, you're saying, I want to trust you, God, to go into the unknown, to face the fear, to face my rejection. That's what this was about. And Moses will take that same rod. And God will use that symbol that, hey, I dealt with fear once back in the wilderness. I can deal with it now. When he stood before for Pharaoh, he must have thought to himself, he's going to say, no, I, I held on to the snake and God was with me. This will be the constant reminder of how he can face his fear. In fact, as we enter the story here, let's watch as he uses this very rod to come against Pharaoh. Let's watch. And now you see Moses is so much more bold. I mean, his boldness is coming out because he's been inoculated by fear. More than that, it wasn't like God said, hey, what would be sort of fun? What about uh, blood in the Nile? The ten plagues are specifically aimed at the ten Egyptian gods. He is trying to prove that the Egyptian gods are not the true God. So one of the gods was in charge of protecting the Nile. So he actually said, listen, your gods can't protect the Nile. I am the true God. Another god was in charge of, of, of the, the, the air and the darkness and the, and the frogs. So all of these plagues were specifically aimed, not like God came up with a crazy idea, hey, let's try this. God was aiming to show that he was the one true God. He was giving evidence to the people watching to let them know that he was with them. And through a series of, of plagues, they will come to the conclusion that God is the one true God. And what strikes me as I was reading this passage months ago in prep for this is that Moses would have missed out on the liberation of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. He would have missed out on the law. He would have missed out on the power of God. He would have missed out on all these blessings in the back third of his life if he had stayed in the wilderness. And how many of us are missing out on the blessings of Egypt? Because all we see in Egypt is rejection and fear. And we say, I will never go there, I will never try that, and yet you're missing so much. My wife and I, about ten years ago, started praying about the idea of, of adopting. And I was not open to it. Our kids were getting close to, you know, within ten years we were going to be free. Um, and the idea of starting over with diapers and all that stuff, I just didn't want to go there at all. Didn't want to go there at all. It's like Moses, nope, 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 not there. And then about four years of praying about it, and then four years of working through it, and we adopted my son. 
Now he's four and a half. And it's come with all kinds of incredible challenges. Uh, with his autism, with missing part of his brain, with his verbal skills being the 1%. Just challenge, 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 challenge. And sometimes you think to yourself, well, maybe I shouldn't have gone. Maybe I shouldn't have tried this. Maybe it was too risky. Maybe this is, I should have stayed in my comfort zone. But I'm telling you, the blessings are in Egypt. The blessings are when you step out. We had two of those blessings this week. Where in the midst of hardship and difficulty, you find God to be your power, to be your strength, in a way you never would in any other way. One of them was sort of a funny one. I uh, was making some Mexican food, and I heard a knock on the door. And so I was chopping this onion, so I walked to the door, and we opened it. my wife opened the door. She got there first, and two police officers stepped into the house. What's going on? They said, do you guys call 911? I said, honey, did you call 911? I didn't call 911. Our son, uh, who can't talk at all, had managed to dial 911. You know, he's got 1% verbal skills at 4.5, but he dialed 911. So we had a good laugh. I said, hey, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate you. appreciate you. And uh, we appreciate you being here. What's with our son? Thanks so much. Hey, you, you wouldn't have called the police, would you? Anything going on here? that needs? No? Okay. So they leave. I have no idea I have a knife in my hand. She closes the door. She goes, Chad, you're carrying a knife. You're shaking at the police. Oh, I was protecting our constitutional rights, honey. That's what I was doing. So we just had this sort of laugh, this moment of, man, God is working in our son. He, 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 and then the same day, I was playing blockus with my daughter, my 16-year-old, and all of a sudden, uh, I hear something. So I'm like, shh, shh, turn the TV off. And we see my son dancing, uh, Quinn. He's dancing our, on our, our chair, and he, he's doing this Paddock, round, round, cue. Like he's doing paddock cake. Paddock cake, paddock cake, baker's man. And so I'm getting out, get the camera out. Shh, shh, it might not last very long. And we're videotaping it. And oh, the joy that we're feeling. We have an incredible joy because our family has learned how to sacrifice, learned how to put other people's needs ahead of our own, learned that our world's a little bit bigger than ourselves. And now something as simple as a kid singing paddock cake can fill us with joy. If my four-and-a-half-year-olds who didn't struggle with autism had been doing pat cake at four-and-a-half, I'd be like, we need to get them to kindergarten. We need to start working with them. But there's so much joy in Egypt, even though it faces difficulty, if it's, it's challenge. God wants you to take whatever you're struggling with and turn the page. Turn the page, and with that, he wants you to face your fear with his promise, his plan, and his power. His promise that He is with you. His plan that He hears you and will do a God factor if you step in. And He'll help you inoculate you with, with fear. He wants to move you to confidence, to that faith. Instead of always being scared of what might happen or what will happen. To trust that He's with you. So like we did last week. Well, this time I put it in your notes. If you open up your notes, I want to give you just a few minutes to sort of do the little workshop exercise on what your response might be. If we could turn the lights up just a hair in the house, just so everybody can see. Three questions here. First, what is your Egypt? I put a few things down, but you might want to write something else down, and maybe you want to write in code, because you've got nosy neighbors who are looking over your shoulder right now, and that's all right, too. But what's your Egypt? The place that represents fear, rejection, or maybe for you it's not those feelings, it's just the unknown scares you. Is your Egypt divorce? One you went through or one you think you might be going into? Is it the fear of the unknown in business? Is it 
the rejection from youth that you've never dealt with, failed business, a bankruptcy, a breakup. Maybe your Egypt is, Chad, I know I probably should reconcile with a friend or a relative who hurt me, but I hate them. I can't say it out loud, but I, it, truly I hate them, and I'm not going to go back to that Egypt. Maybe that's your Egypt. Maybe it's losing a job, the loss of a child. You've never dealt with the, the mourning or the grief of that. The death of a parent, cancer, an illness, a report. So you've attempted something that failed. So just circle it or make a mental note of it or maybe in the other. Say, yeah, Chaz, you've been talking. My Egypt, the thing I don't want to do is this. Now with that in mind, what would you do differently if you knew that God was with you? So I don't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's hypothetically, if you knew that God was with you, how would you handle this? Do you know that God cares about your difficulties? But what if you did? Is here is fear holding me back in some area? Like, yeah, it's relationally. It's taking a risk in my business. What, what if you knew that God was bigger than your fears? How might you take your next couple steps? What possibilities would I be open to if I wasn't afraid of failure? What if there was a God factor available to me? What would I do? What would I try? And then lastly, Moses was asked to throw his rod down. Throw down his staff. What stuff do you need to throw down? What, what's the rod that God's asking you to throw down and say, I'm willing to let go of this? Is it bitterness? Man, I don't want to let go of my bitterness. It warms my soul to tell you the story about how I was wronged. But God's saying, throw it down. Your need for safety? Your need for comfort and convenience? Maybe the thing you need to throw down is just being willing to be hurt again so that you can engage in a real relationship again. Maybe it's financial security is keeping you from going out on your next step. Maybe the thing you need to throw down is the thing that's been affecting your marriage, your relationship with your kids, is you just need to throw down. I need to swallow my pride. I've got to throw that down. I don't want to. Yeah, I, I like this staff. I like my pride. But you know it's killing your relationships. Maybe it's just a willingness to change. Or maybe it's like Moses was, the fear of failure. Whatever it is, I want to have a prayer and just ask that God will help you take this home, use this as a worksheet, work through whatever uh, those issues are and just say, God, I want to face my fear with your plan. I want to face my fear with your promise and with your power. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we will be a liberated people, that we will not stay in the bondage of Egypt in our own hearts. We will not stay captive to fears. We will not stay captive to past patterns and even generational patterns that go back to our parents and grandparents with our anger or withholding affection. Whatever it is we've done, Father, we want to be liberated people who know that you are with us. And we want to journey through the joy story and find the joy of knowing that you can liberate us from our own Egypts. That we can lay down whatever's holding us back and trust you, for you are the ultimate liberator. You sent your son Jesus to earth to liberate us from our, our wrongdoing, liberate us from our shame, liberate us from our past patterns, and liberate us by being our Passover lamb who would die for us to bring us forgiveness and to bring us freedom. For wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and we want liberty in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, hey, if you are enjoying your journey through the joy story, we want to make other ways that you could connect maybe with other folks to, to meet with. Maybe you're new to Horizon and you sort of love the services, but you don't know anybody. Not enough that you can have conversations. So we're going to watch a, a quick little video about some small groups that are coming up. And we're going to have sign-ups today for men's groups, women's groups, uh, new Bible study type groups, story form life, starting point groups, and fast track groups. Let's watch It's the quickest way to understand the greatest story ever told. It comes with science experiments, illusions, the unexpected drawings. You never know what you're going to get. How to face adversity. How to trust God. How to stop running from God. How to never give in. Join me for Fast Track. The quickest way to understand the greatest story ever told. So as you head out today, if you're looking for a way to connect, fireplace, any of those connection points, we'd love to get you connected if you're ready for that. If you came prepared to give, we don't have an offering in our services because we don't want you to think that we're trying to get something from you. But if you love what God's doing here and want to give, there's some offering boxes on your way out in the foyer. And we'd love to greet you. Third door on your left is a hearth room. Some volunteers there can answer any of your questions. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week for Joy Story Part 3. Thanks again.